The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. with Aldi's is a consumer mentality. Basically, uh, if you will give me what I'm looking for, then I guess I will come to you and give you my business. Um, and to be honest, when I uh, started coming to church, that was my relationship with the church. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that I was using the church, that I was just there to get stuff from the church, but that was the reality of it. Um, when I first started going to church, it was because there was potential for a romantic relationship, right? I mean, my buddy was like, dude, there's some hot girls. You should come on. I'm like, all right, hey, church doesn't seem too bad of an idea. So I started, started going to church, you know? And, uh, and as I was there in church, you know, I was like, well, you know, I, I like to have some good friends. And so church became a means of social activity for me, right? It gave me things to do on my calendar. It kept me kind of busy. It made me feel important because I had lots of things that I was doing and I had lots of friends that were there. And so it met this kind of social need that I had. And I realized it and I started to use the church because it gave me this kind of sense of belonging, um, and then as I, you know, I started to grow in the Lord a little bit more, I started to read the Bible, and I started to kind of desire uh, the Lord more. I, I went to uh, college uh, at Southwest Baptist University, so I got my major in biblical studies, and I sat under these amazing professors. I mean, you know, PhDs, you know, studied at Oxford, I mean, just brilliant, brilliant men. And I'm sitting here learning, I mean, just uh, amazing stuff. And I go to church service, and I hear the pastor preach, and I'm kind of like, well, you know, I'd rather listen to my professors. Uh, and, so, and so the first couple of years, I didn't go to church as often because why, why go to church? I'm already getting this need met in my life. I can, you know, check off the box for biblical information. Why do I need to go to church and, and learn all this information, right? The church was just a means of getting something for me. And so therefore, if I was getting that need, why go to church? And so for the first two years of college, I really didn't go to church that much, you know, because I already had that need in my life fulfilled, I, I went to chapels, I was in classes five times a week, you know, listened to these brilliant men exposit the scriptures and teach Greek, and I mean, it was just, you know, why go? But as I started to grow, I started to, uh, I started to realize um, that going to church was more than just about me, that it was more than just about having these needs that I thought I needed to be met, and finding a church that would just please me and suit me, right? Because, I mean, that's what I would, you know, I mean, church shopping. Who has the best worship? Who has the pastor that I enjoy? Who has the, the, the age group that I want to be a part with and will do the things that are on my pace and my schedule? And so just look for all the little boxes and, you know, check them off. Because church was all about me. It was all about what I wanted and finding everything that would suit me. And that's very much 21st century American, right? I mean, that's, that's very much our culture. But as I started to actually not just understand the scriptures, but started to really have the desire to live the scriptures, I started to see that actually that was um, really kind of destroying me. And I think that that's, that same mentality of a consumer mentality is the same thing as destroying our marriage across this country. It's because we approach the church just as often as we approach our marriage. Is I like you and you're cool as long as you kind of fit all the little boxes I have in my head and you meet these needs for me. And when you don't, well, I'm going to go find somebody else that does. Because life's about me. I orbit around me. And for a long time, my mentality operated like that until the Lord started to confront me uh, in my selfishness and helping me to realize that there's so much more joy when it's not about me. That the, 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 the life that Christ calls us to is this freedom of, this freedom of self-forgetfulness. That as we get caught up in something far more grand, far more purposeful, um, that there's so much more joy in it. And I don't know if it really sunk home for me until I, I mean, I, I came down here and I started working at a parachurch ministry. I knew I needed to be a part of a local church, and I came here. And I, I got invited, uh, or an opportunity to be the associate pastor. Uh, and there was a season, you know, um, there was a season I didn't want to be here. You know, there was somebody that was in the church that was very, very difficult for me to operate um, here for almost a whole year. And it got to a point where I was like, I, I wanted to leave. There was every part of me that wanted to leave. I didn't want to be a part of the church. I didn't want to, because it was just so difficult for me to be around this person. And that was when the Lord confronted me. The Lord lovingly came to me and said, who are you serving? Are you serving yourself? 
Are, are you serving your own interest? Or are you serving me? Because if it's about me, it's something far greater and far bigger, and you give up your life. And this is the idea of how the Lord wants to move us. And there's still, there's still areas, but I feel like the Lord is moving me more and more in that direction, more of this idea of covenant. This idea of covenant is it's this commitment, this enduring commitment of giving myself rather than simply asking, what can they give to me? And so, as I, I searched, and man, that was one of the hardest seasons, but also, man, one of, I'm, one I'm so thankful for because the Lord gave me a, a profound and deep love for his people. You know, one that, that endures, one that lasts. And that's the heart of Christ. You know, as I looked at the scriptures, this is the heart of Christ, is Christ doesn't have a consumer mentality with us, right? He's not like, well, as long as they can meet my needs, I'll stick around with them. But as soon as they stop worship, as soon as they stop, I'm just kicking them to the curb and finding find me a better people. You know, no, he, he endures with us. He's patient with us. He's committed to us. And listen to these verses in uh, Ephesians 5, 2, it says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us gave himself up for us, right? It's this voluntarily, this willing offer, right? You can't force somebody to give themselves up for someone else. No one here can force you to give yourself up for the church, to give yourself up for one another. It's something that you have to do voluntarily, willingly, a a choice out of love because you care for others. This is what Christ did. Gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? Why did he do that? That he might sanctify her, right? It's that, how do we mature? We mature, one, as we give ourselves up for the benefit of others. As we die to us in order that others might have, that actually matures us. It makes us more like Christ, and so it says, give your, as he gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ did that we might be holy, set apart unto him. And then in John ten fourteen through 15, he talks about uh, that he is the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And so I want you to hear, this is, this is Christ's heart and his mentality for the church, for his people, is that he lays his life down willingly, voluntarily, joyfully, in order that we might be his. And you say, this is what it means for us to follow him, is what it means to be a local church, what it means to be a, a part of a local church, is it means that we intentionally and willingly lay down our lives for one another out of joy, out of compassion, out of care. It's not something that anyone can force anyone else into. It's something that the Holy Spirit does in us by producing this, this love, this desire to give up for the benefit of others that they might have. And so as we go you know, through our time, I just want to kind of look at um, a couple different things. I want to look at what a vision, some descriptors of what the Bible talks about is a local church. Um, I want to talk about where do we see this idea of covenant in the scriptures. Um, And then we're going to, we're going to look at some biblical reasons for why we think covenant membership is important. So first let's, uh, let's look at what's a vision for uh, the local church. And, And before we get that, I want to just, the big idea for this whole thing is this, is that Jesus makes us his covenant people through the gospel. Jesus makes us his covenant people through the gospel and that the reality of that covenant is, dis- is displayed through our commitment to be his people together in a local church, right? So how do we, how do we become in covenant? We, you become in covenant with God first and foremost through trusting that Christ died for your sin, was buried and rose again from the dead. That is the very initiation. That is the very beginning. That is how we enter into relationship with him. It's through trusting in Christ and turning from our sin, Right? We realize that we've been walking this path on our own. We've been guiding ourselves. And sometimes we, finally what happens is that we wake up and we look around and we're like, this is not a pretty place. Like, I don't know how I walked or got here, but I'm here and I don't want to be here anymore. And, and the Lord says, follow me. I can lead you back to a place of beauty, of peace, of love, of joy. If you will but leave your self-leadership, leave this path that you've been trying to discover and follow me. I have far more in plan for you than you could ever plan for yourself. And this is what it is that we, we trust in Christ. 
and we turn from our choice of trying to lead our own lives and we follow him. And when we do this, there's this intimate relationship that's formed. It's called a covenant, right? And we are one with him. I mean, this is Paul's huge thing. He says, we're in Christ or Christ is in us. It's this deep unity that happens and we're in covenant. But how does the world know that? Well, one of the ways the world knows that is through our commitment to be a part of a local church, right? So that's one way. There are many ways, right? How we love one another, the spirit in us. But the Bible declares that one specific way is that we declare that we are part of the universal church by being a part of a local church. So with that, let's kind of get into some visions of the local church. How does the Bible describe the church? It uses a lot of metaphors, a lot of illustrations. We're just going to look at three because literally we could have like a multi-series sermon based just on this. So first, the Bible talks about the church as a family. It describes us as, as a family. In Romans eight sixteen through 17, it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so think about that, that together when you come into Christ, when you trust in him and you become a Christian, you have a family. That we are brothers and sisters, and the Bible describes it all along its path like that. That we are to treat older men as fathers, we treat older women as mothers, we're to treat, you know, youngers as younger brothers and sisters. That we are a, a family together, we're knit together. And I like to think of it like this, that, you know, our local church is kind of like our immediate family. And like other churches, they're like our cousins, you know, like they're over there and like we're family, but like we're called to care and steward for our immediate family, the people that God's placed right around us. And listen, it doesn't mean that we're to neglect our cousins, right? We're not to be like, hey, I can't stand those hillbillies. They're over there. We're not to like neglect them. We are to genuinely care for them. I mean, you see that with Paul is that he, right, the, the church in Jerusalem, they were in desperate need financially. And so he goes around to all the other churches and he says, hey, listen, they're hurting. We need to give financially to help them out. And so we are a family together, but, but we have a primary concern and care for our immediate family, the people that God has placed us in right here. And so he describes us, the, the church, as a family. The second thing is he describes us as a body. In 1 Corinthians twelve twelve it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Notice, this is where this idea of membership comes. Often we hear membership and we think Costco or we think like gym, you know, and we, we think of membership like that, but the Bible does not describe membership anything like that. It describes membership as members of a body, like fingers and hands and feet and eyes. And he, and he says that all of those members, they draw direction from one head, one place. And the way that we are unified is we're unified by each individual part listening to the head listening to Christ. Our church is unified as each of us chooses to honor and submit to Jesus. All it takes is one member that goes crazy, right? You got, you know, you got one leg or one finger that doesn't want to cooperate. The whole body's not going, it's, you know, it's slowed down. It's hindered. You know, like if you have a limp leg or you got, you know, a hand that's not acting correct, like it messes up the whole body. And so too, in our, in our local fellowship, our unity is, is so dependent upon each one of us seeking Christ, each one of us being a source of encouragement, of love, of truth. And so don't, you know, we, sometimes we think that our quiet time is just about us, and it's not. You abiding in the Lord is so much more profound than just you. It is one of the ways that God uses you profoundly. And he'll use you as you abide in him intimately daily to encourage other people, to love other people, to, to, to stop gossip when you hear it, to speak the truth to somebody, even though it might be hard, but they need to hear it. God uses us abiding to, to bring us together. We are a body. We're a body. The third way that he, uh, the Bible describes it of, of many more is that it describes us as an embassy an embassy. And what an embassy is, right? We have a U.S. embassy in other places. An embassy is something that recognizes uh, citizenship, right? It, it recognizes citizenship, right? I mean, if someone comes in, they recognize that they affirm citizenship or they deny that that person is a citizen, right? That's the role of an embassy. And so the Bible describes the church as an embassy. And so Matthew 16, 18 through 19, it says, Jesus is talking to Peter here and 
Peter has just affirmed that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says this. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, right? This is Petros. This is a masculine, right? Masculine right here. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, Petra, that's a feminine, right? So he's talking about different. Peter is not the foundation of the church, like the Roman Catholic church teaches, okay? Because it's two different neuters. It would be like me saying, and you, actor, and this actress is what I will play the star of my movie. You're talking about two different persons here. So when he's talking about Peter, he's affirming Peter, but he's talking about that the statement that Peter made, which is that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, that statement is what the church is built on. All right? But, but he, he talks about the role of the church. He says, I will build my church, praise the Lord, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you, the church, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So what is he talking about here? He's saying that that Christ is giving the church the ability to recognize who is in the kingdom and who is not. Whatever he is, when... So the kingdom of God, Jesus comes to bring the kingdom of God and people, when you and I trust in Jesus, we become citizens of the kingdom, right? That's what Paul talks about in in Philippians. He says, we are born again. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. But one of the roles of the church is the church is to be a place where we affirm and we say, this person is genuinely a Christian, you know? And ultimately the Lord knows, right? Churches mess that up all the time, but that's one of the roles that God made the church for is that we, we stand behind and we affirm that this person is following and trusting in Christ. Or, and this is the role of what discipline is, is that this person does not seem to be following and trusting Christ. Let me just say this. We have a deep aversion to this in our culture. Why? Because we can't stand any kind of authority. We are, I mean, if you look at how America was founded and what our culture is, is that we rebel against authority. But this is one of the areas where God has placed this as, as a safekeeping for his church. And, it, and it's to be an encouragement. How is it that people know that we're a Christian? And one, one way is that the church stands behind and we say, this person genuinely shows evidence that they are trusting and following Jesus. And that's, that's one of the areas that we're to be, in, the church is to be an embassy. So what are the roles? He, he talks about that God has given elders and deacons and all kinds of gifts for a specific purpose in the body. And Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ. One of the reasons that God has given elders and he's given leaders is that we're to equip the church. We're to stand and we're to encourage, we're to care, we're to call out God's gifting in you. Man, so many of the ministries, God's not calling us to lead, but he's calling us to encourage you to lead because he's given you a vision, he's given you a passion for it. But one of the questions that I was asked long ago is that the Holy Spirit seeks to lead through under shepherds, right? He's the chief shepherd of the church, but he seeks to lead through, through elders, and that we have a part in asking us, what kind of Christians are you helping to shape? Right? Because as, as we help to lead or guide the church, it helps shape people and how they understand and follow Jesus. Right? That's why we think discipleship is so critical, so important, because there are churches that don't emphasize discipleship. And it forms how people understand following Jesus. And so there's a profound impact that that plays. And that was, that was asked, is, how are you helping to shape and form people to follow Jesus well? And that, that question stuck with me, and I think it stuck with us, and that's one of the biggest reasons why we think that covenant membership is so vital is because it helps shape and form us as followers of, of Jesus. It helps us to make and keep promises. It helps us to better understand what it actually means to follow Jesus because so often in the time we don't. And I, I see it frequently is that someone comes up and they accept Jesus, and I think that that decision is genuine, but they don't understand the fullness of what it actually means to follow Christ. And so what we long to do is to help clarify what that looks like on the front side rather than getting three or four or five years down the road and they're like, I had no idea about that. You mean I shouldn't be having premarital sex? You mean I shouldn't be, you know, like, and like, and just talking about that these are what, this is what Christ calls us to. I mean, same thing. That's why premarital counseling is pretty good before marriage. You know, like you're still going to discover things, but there is a big difference. I can tell you in Emily and I's relationship when we did premarital counseling, 
You know, that as we walked through that, we discovered and learned more about each other so we understood what that commitment looked like on the front side. And that's this idea behind what covenant is, is that we want to clarify these things on the front side so that people come in, they understand what does it mean to follow Jesus versus getting, or, and what do we believe as a church? So that rather than three or four or five years down the road, they're like, I had no idea you guys believe that. Or I had no idea that this is what it meant to follow Jesus. So, what does the Bible talk about this, though? You know, so we've talked about the vision of the local church, but I want to, everything we do, we seek to be grounded in the scriptures. And so if we're like, if we don't have precedent in the scriptures, then why do anything? We're not trying to create something new or make an addition onto something. We're trying to do what the scriptures talk about. And so we see all kinds of different covenants that God institutes. There are covenants between God and man, and then there are also covenants that men make between one another. And so some of the, the covenants that God makes with man, right? He made a covenant with Noah. You look at that and God promises, hey, I'm gonna put a bow in the sky that's gonna promise I'm never gonna flood the earth. Good news, right? He's never gonna flood the whole earth again. We can look at the rainbow and it's a promise. He also makes, he makes a covenant with Abraham and he promises Abraham through you and through your seed, I'm going to bless the whole world. And that's the covenant that he makes with, he makes a covenant with Moses. Right? And this covenant with Moses is he, he promises and there's, there's conditional covenants and unconditional covenants, right? When God made a covenant with Moses, he made an unconditional covenant saying, I will be your God. But he also put conditions. If you don't obey the words of this law, you're going to be taken into other nations. You're going to be disciplined. And they refused to listen. And, and because of that, that was conditional. They were. I mean, we saw Moses prophesize about it and they're taken by other nations because they're led astray because they, they didn't stay faithful to the covenant. But then we see ultimately the truest expression is the covenant that Jesus makes with us. And it's this unconditional covenant where he promises, he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. I will forgive your sins. And what's the condition of that covenant? It's that we trust in him, right? It's that we place our faith in him. And when we've placed our faith in him, he promises when we are born again, we can never lose that. He never takes back that gift that he's given us. But what about these covenants that men make between one another? We see a couple of these. We see, one, there's a covenant that Jonathan and David make. Jonathan makes a covenant with David. And he says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to be your best friend for life. I'm going to look out for you. And so he makes this covenant with him. We see that there's a covenant that, uh, that the people make with David as they anoint him. And then these two covenants that I'm going to read, I think, are very pertinent for us specifically in regards to this. There's a covenant that Josiah, he's a, he's a king, he's eight years old, and actually the Lord spoke to Colin through this, I think earlier this week, but uh, and it, it was just such a, a sweet piece. But Josiah is eight when he becomes king, and he comes and they discover the book of the law. It was hidden in the temple, and, and they had totally forsaken what God had talked about in this covenant with Moses. They had forgotten it. And so Josiah, they discover it, and he seeks to renew that covenant with the people. And, and here's what it says in, in 2 Chronicles 34, 29 through 32. Then the king, who's Josiah, sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites, all the people, both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. That was a long day. Like he read the whole Testament. He read the covenant before them. And so like, just put in perspective our sermons. Don't, don't, you know. Uh, so in verse 31, it says, and the king stood in his place and made a covenant. So he's talking about that he just, he read what the covenant said. And then after he read what the covenant said, it says, and he made a covenant. So he, he is, he's renewing that covenant that was already made. Do you hear that? He's not seeking to make a new covenant. He's not seeking to add on to the covenant. He's saying, we together, we are promising to do what that covenant said. We're agreeing together that we are going to do that. And he says, and the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in it. So he was like, listen, I make a covenant, y'all are doing it with me. You know, and he's the king, so he can do that. So he, like everybody in the, in the hearing joined in that covenant that he made. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And so we see that there's precedent in the Old Testament that they, 
they knew what the covenant was, and they, they covenanted based on that. We see another example of this exact same thing happening in Nehemiah. Right? So Nehemiah comes back. They're seeking to rebuild uh, Jerusalem. It's been torn down for many, many years. And so the people have been led astray, and they're coming back, and it's this time of revival. The people have discovered the law. They read it, and everybody's confessing their sin, and they're repenting. It's national revival. Think of, like, the Great Awakening in America, right? It's a, it's a, a phenomenal time that's going on in Israel. And they go, and they, they make a covenant because they have forsaken the covenant. And Nehemiah 9, 32 through 38, it says, Now, therefore... Our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law, or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them, even in their own kingdom, and amid your great goodness that you gave them, and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves, and its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sin. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because all of this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed documents are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. You hear what he's saying there? He's saying that, man, our sin has led us astray, it's destroyed us, and we make a covenant now to do what was in the covenant that we had forsaken. We promise to do what was written because we want to be that. We want to do that. And they together commit to be the people together. And he says that they sealed it, right? They wrote their names and they sealed it down. And so what we're seeking to do is we're doing covenant membership. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We see this in scripture throughout is that we together come as a body and we say, this is our desire. This is our heart is we want to do what was written in God's covenant and his word. We want to do that together. And that's what's formed our process. You know, many of you guys know, but C4 is our process as a church. Come, connect, covenant, calling. And we see this in Jesus' ministry is that there's this process that Jesus leads people through to maturity. People come and they get to know him. They start to connect. For us, connect is a class where you get to know us a little bit more. You start to get more of the ministries of who we are and what we do, what we believe. And then there's a point of, of commitment. And you see it in Jesus' ministry, right? There's a lot of people that follow Jesus, a lot of fans. He had a lot of people that liked him on Facebook, but not a lot of people that actually said, well, I want to show up and I want to go where you go. And there was a point where Jesus called people to commitment, because he loved them and he wanted them to have clarity whether they were following him or whether they weren't. And so too, this is what this idea of covenant is intended to do. It's intended to be a moment of clarity. And it's, it's, it's such an act of love because there are, very, there are very few times where somebody that thinks that they're a Christian and isn't actually has a time where they're confronted or they're called to examine that. And that's what this is, one of the things that this is intended to do is it's intended to hopefully assure and, and seal people's salvation if they don't know and if they're not genuine Christians. It's a moment where they, we come and we say, we love you, and we want you to examine your faith. Are, are you in Christ? And so covenant is this period where we, we clarify what does it look like to commit together, to be these people together. And as elders, we have commitments that we make to you and that there are commitments that you guys make to us, and we commit together to be his people and to follow his word. So next, I want to just walk through a couple more reasons why we think that, that this idea of membership, this idea of covenant is, is biblical. Uh, so first, the early church kept record. They actually knew who was coming and who wasn't. They, they actually seemed interested in that. And so you see Acts 2.41, it says, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So apparently they were like keeping track. Uh, it says that you know, the church got together to talk about who was to care for the widows in Acts 6. So they had a process of, of putting people in charge of other people. And so they knew who was in leadership. They knew who was in need. And so they were, they were taking care of one another, and that required organization. It required that they actually kept track. And we see Paul uh, apparently knows in, in Romans 16, 1 through 16, he actually lists all these people that are apparently part of the church. So he knew who was in the church and who wasn't in the church. The second is that, as we've talked about earlier, a metaphor for a body and 
1 Corinthians 12, it talks about that we are this body and that we're joined together and that the members are, are operating as one. Now, what that means to be a part of the body is that you have to know that you're a part of the body. It doesn't really work if a hand's like laying off to the side and has no idea that it belongs to a body. It doesn't really work. That's why we have Halloween. Those are horror movies, you know? And so, and so if we are part of the body, we actually have to know what we're a part of and we have to know our role. Right? I mean, if it says that each one of us, we play a part in the body. And what that means is it means that you have a role in the body that you're needed. That you're not just, well, if I don't show up, I guess, you know, maybe I'll be missed. No, you are a function. You play a role and God calls you to play a role in the health of the body. God wants to use you. And so that's why we think that this, this idea of mutual belonging to one another is important. That doesn't just happen by accident. You know, a hand doesn't just walk along and say, ah, I guess I'll just jump on that body, right? I mean, like there has to, there's something that happens, there's a process, you know? And so, so too, we think that it's intentional. We know whether we're a part of this body or we're not. It's not something that just kind of like, well, I guess I've been here long enough, you know? Like there's intentionality. Both people understand and recognize what it is and what it means to belong. One of the next things that we see in, in for me, this is something that I think as elders we seek to take really seriously and, and an important part is that it says that shepherds are to know who are, who are they to care for. First Peter 5, 1 through 3, it says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And what's Peter saying here? He's saying that elders, we have, we have responsibility. We have responsibility to care, to feed, to encourage, to shepherd the, the, the flock that God has given to us. And what that means is, is he, the shepherd illustration is they know who's in their flock and who's not in their flock. That's what part of being a shepherd is, is that you knew who you're responsible for, what sheep you're to care for, and which you're not. And what that means is it doesn't mean that if somebody walks in here, you're not in covenant, well, too bad. I guess we won't love you today, right? That's not at all what that means. It means that we are genuinely going to care for you. We're going to love you. We're going to encourage you. But we also see that, they, that there are times and places where God would call us to, to know who are we giving account to God for their souls. I hope you know that's a weighty responsibility. And we don't take that lightly, that there's a day where God's going to ask us to account for the people that we have shepherded. And we want to know. We don't want to be like, I didn't really, I wasn't really sure about Jimmy. He was like in and then out and then in again. And I wasn't really sure what my responsibility towards him was. Like God wants us to have clarity about who it is that we're laboring over, who it is that we're to care for. He holds us accountable for that. In Hebrews, and, and also it talks about that we are to, that the members are to, are to submit to leaders. And in Hebrews 13, verse seven and in 17, it says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. In verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. And he says that, that just as we have a, a heavy bur- a joy, but a heavy task of watching over people's souls, he says also that there is a charge entrusted to, to honor and to, and to submit to the leading of elders as they are seeking to lead as Christ leads self-sacrificially, loving, joyfully, not, not selfishly, not for greedy gain. And so we see that that requires that there's clarity, that both know, right? I mean, hopefully you're not just like, well, any pastor that walks up and tells me anything, I'm just obligated to submit and honor and just follow whatever they say. That's not what the scriptures are talking about. It's saying that within a body, within um, this local church, there are leaders that you know, and you know their heart and their character and their desire to love you. And those are the leaders that God would call you to, to, to submit to. Just as he would call us to, to not, we're not, I'm not in charge of every single Christian that's out there, but he's, he's given us a body that we are to care for and we're to love and serve and help to guide. Another reason we think that church membership is biblical is because there are all of these one another's. So Romans 15, seven, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you be devoted to one another in brotherly love, Romans 12, 10. Have equal concern for each other. Carry each other's burdens. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other. Do not slander one another. And the list goes on and on and on. There's 59 one another's in the New Testament. Now listen, we can't do that with everybody. That's exhausting. We are called to do that with, hopefully, with 
specific people that God has placed within our, our, our congregation. Now, listen, it doesn't mean that, listen, if you're in another congregation, we're not going to pray for you. For sure, we're going to pray for you. But like I said before, there's a hierarchy. There are people that he's placed, like my immediate family. God has placed my immediate family before me, and I'm to love and to care for Emily and for my son, and that's, that's a priority, right? And so, too, God has given us an immediately local church family, and not that our other churches around us, not that our other brothers and sisters in the Lord don't matter whatsoever. They matter deeply, and we care for them. But God has placed within us a, a hierarchy of that, of who is it that we, we give our first? Who is it that we go to? Uh, another one is that it's required for the holiness of the church and for the honor of Christ's name. This is the idea that Jesus places before us of, of church discipline. In Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you and you've gained your brother, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, church discipline is not a very popular thing, but it's, honestly, I think our church does it really well. Because most of church discipline is actually positive. You know what church discipline is most of the time? Encouragement. As we encourage and love one another, we practically help and, and, and guard each other from sin. And so loving one another, encouraging one another, speaking the truth to one another is one of the best forms of positive church discipline. But he says that there are, there are times where someone is deceived about following Christ. They're in the church, and, and he talks about one example. that There's a, a man that is sleeping with his father's wife his mother-in-law, and he's sleeping with her. And the church is just sitting there celebrating it. They're like, ah, no big deal. And the world looks at that and says, if that's what following Jesus is, if that's what Christianity is, I want no part of it. And they reject Christ because his church isn't representing him or they don't take seriously the call to follow him. And what Paul says is, Paul says, listen, what do I have to judge? What do I have to do with judging outsiders? It's those within the church that are to be judged. He says, purge the evil from within your midst. And so he, he says, because we love him, we, we will, at that time, we will cast him out in order that he might come to his senses and that he might be embraced once more back into the body. You see, church discipline is one that is done over a long process of time, usually. It's done, like, one-on-one, -on -one, and then it's, it's, you know, coming multiple. And then he says, take them before the church. And one of the reasons that we think church covenant or church membership is so important is that we don't think that that means that we talk about it on a Sunday morning. Because on a Sunday morning like this, we have people that are all different places. Some people are here, they're not even Christians. Some people are here and they're like, well, I'm not really sure if I'm committed to this church. And so what we believe that part of that is, is that it looks like we have a time where the church that is committed, where they've covenanted together, we come before them and we say, hey, here's what's really going on. Now, that doesn't mean that we're gossiping, we're spreading everybody's dirty news. What that means is, is that, hey, somebody hasn't been here in four or five months. Reach out to them. We, we as leadership have reached out to them, but love on them. Reach out to them. What's going on? There are times where someone leaves and it's, you know, and nobody knows. They're like, why did they just leave? Well, that's not something we're going to announce on a Sunday morning, but that is something that maybe those that are actually covenanted a part of us, they should know. And so that's where we, we share, hey, here's what's going on. This person is left for righteous reasons. They're going to another church, so here's what's going on. Or, hey, here's a, a very broad, you know, without exclosing too many details, but here's what's going on. Pray for this person. And so it's a place where the church knows. And if there ever is, which... I've been here five years. We've not had, maybe had one or two instances of actual church discipline, and most of the time they resolve fairly quickly. But if there ever is a time where someone is in unrepentance, and, it, and that's what it is. Church discipline is really about the state of someone's heart. If there's a person, they even show a sign of repentance, then we're, we're, it's, it's come back in the fold. You're reconciled to us. Church discipline is only when someone is in a state of play, their heart is in a, a hardened state, and they say, listen, I don't care, this isn't sin, and I'm not changing, and I'm not going back. And all church discipline is saying what their life is declaring. They're declaring that I'm not following Jesus, and that I think this is more valuable than Jesus, and that's all that we're doing is we're declaring that your life is declaring that. You're saying that this is more valuable than Jesus, and this isn't sin, even though the scriptures teach it clearly, even though we've come to you over a period of a long period of time. And if it's possible for someone to know that they're outside of something, right? Because that's what it is. It's excommunication. And the purpose of that is ultimate restoration. But if someone's outside of it, they have to be in it. I mean, it doesn't work. Church discipline literally does not work at all unless you have a recognized body, unless someone understands what it means that they're in the body for them to be out of the body. That's why Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 5 is so important. As he, he says, listen, we cast him out. 
And he knows that he's out in order that he might be drawn back in because he's broken by his sin, because he realizes and comes to his senses. And so that's, that's why we think this is, this is important, is that it protects the body. It, it helps that sin wouldn't spread like a cancer. Because literally that's what it is. It's, it's like gangrene. It spreads from the, the, the hand and it will just start to take over. And so it protects the body, but also it protects our witness as, as the church. You know, as the, as the outside world looks in, one of the ways that we know is that there, the, the, the church displays a genuine desire to pursue Jesus, a holiness. And that that's one of the ways that we protect the church, that we protect the witness of Christ. And the world sees that there is genuinely something different. So those are some, some of the biblical reasons. Practically, practically, what we say all the time is it does three things. It informs, it clarifies, and it unifies Right, So it informs, it gives a clearer picture of who we are, of what we believe before people come on board with us. It, uh, or, sorry, it informs, it clarifies, right? Is that there's a time on Sunday nights, what it's going to look like is that those are in covenant membership with us, those who have committed with us. Sunday night is going to be a, a really like, uh, intimate picture of what's been going on in the church. Right? So you're going to get hear more about what's going on in the individual ministries, about where we're at financially, about where we feel like the Lord's vision has given us for the next six months. Um, all, of, all of the more intricate parts of what's going on aren't necessarily appropriate for us to share on a Sunday morning. That's what it's going to be twice a year. So you're going to get a, a, a greater pulse upon what's going on in the life of the church. We're going to get a shared vision uh, with you guys. And so there's going to be greater uh, clarity about that. And then unity. Uh, Practically, this is, I think, one of the best things that, that unifies us together is it helps us to understand what we believe and it helps us understand what our mission is. As people come into the church, they're not taking two, three, four years to kind of discover things. That on the front side, we're laying everything we can up front and they understand here's who we are, here's what we believe, here's where we're going. And it, it shoots that into our DNA every six months as people come on board. And so it's helping to describe and to form that kind of community. So... Historically, we won't talk too, too much longer about it, but historically, this is what the church has always done. This is not a brand new concept. I mean, the Didache was, they, they found it and probably dates back to the 60s, 60 AD. So when Paul was still writing letters, they had the Didache. And what the Didache was, is it was a church membership manual. It, it talks to them about what are the expectations of the church of what does it look like to live in community with one another. This was going on as they were writing the Bible. Of, of describing and helping to form what it meant to be committed together as a local church. Now, it changed as soon as Catholicism came. And what church membership was then is that church membership was if you were born into the church or if you lived in a certain region, then you were a church member. But as soon as the Protestant Reformation came in, and Martin Luther was like, no, that's not what it means to be a, a Christian, is that you need to be born again. You're justified by faith. Then they, they started... I mean, from that moment on, regenerate church membership has been a part of the Protestant Reformation and the Protestant movement from that point. It's only very, very recently that the idea of church membership has fallen on hard times where people will kind of hear it and bristle. And the reason why is because of our culture, because we're anti-authoritarian, because also because it has been abused, right? There have been abuses of it. And, that, and, and, and if you've been in churches, I've never been in church that's done that. I haven't personally, and so I've never experienced that. And for some of you that have experienced that, I can understand how it, it makes you kind of bristle and kind of like pause a little bit. All I've seen have been healthy churches that have done that. When I look at the, a lot of the people that have poured into my life and a lot of the people that I look up to that have healthy, solid churches, I mean, Matt, Matt Chandler, Tim Keller, John Piper, a lot of these guys that have healthy, solid churches, this is a foundation of what their churches are built on. And so... And so we, we seek to do this because it, I think it, it plays such a valuable role in unifying us. Um, but the, the process of this is, has been, I think, hard at times. And, and part of that is that change is, can always be difficult. And I, I also, I want to ask for because I think that there are ways in which we, as we've been trying to do this, we've been trying to figure out the right process and we've unintentionally probably hurt some people that we haven't intended to. And so if you've been hurt by this process, we love you and we apologize. Our heart was never to hurt and so that's been, I think, part of this process of us learning how is it that we implement something that is new into an existing body, right? Because really, I think there's, there's four groups out here right now. You know, the, the, the first group are those that have maybe have been coming and they're new and they've been through the class. They've gone through the three classes. They've met with an elder and they're in covenant. The second group is, is people that are here and they've, they've been living out this covenant for years. I mean, right? I, 
I think of Miss Helen, Miss Catherine, I think of, you know, like Miss Jean. I mean, I think of these people that have been in the church for years and they're seeking to live out. I mean, they live out the covenant. They display the covenant. And so what we've been doing with them is that we're saying, you're, you're grandfathered in because for crying out loud, you're living the covenant. You're displaying the covenant. And so they just meet with an elder and we kind of show them, here's what the covenant says. You already know all of this. And so, um, and so there, for many of you, that your elders have been reaching out to you or they've been talking to you and you're grandfathered in because of how long you've been here, your faithfulness, your character, because you understand what that is. There are those of you that have been coming and that um, maybe you're new or, or uh, you haven't gone through, and we would, we would say, please, we want you to be in covenant with us. That's our heart. Come, join, be a part of us. And so, um, please, we have covenant coming up soon in November. There's going to be three classes. And so come, there's three classes that kind of clarify what we believe, who we are, and then meet with an elder and talk to them. That they would, We want to get to know you. And I think it's a great opportunity that each elder meets with each person individually. And so we get to know you. We get to know your story. We get to hear you. You get to know us. Um, and so please, there's some of you that we, we want, we long for you to be in covenant. And then there is the last group. And there are people that are, you know, you're maybe, you're here and you're not a Christian. And you're like, well, I don't even know. You know, or you're here and, and this idea of accountability, this idea of commitment, it kind of scares you. And you're kind of like, I don't really know about that kind of level of commitment. I really don't want to be accountable, you know. And listen, we love you too. And, and for me, like I shared earlier, it was a very long process for me before I came to a place of understanding of what it meant for me to give myself for the church. And so we love you. We care for you. We want you to continue to come and to experience uh, love and joy and community with us. Um, and hopefully the Lord will grow you to a point where you either trust in Christ or you see that commitment is what forms us. And it's one of the most beautiful things in life that actually shapes us into, uh, into better people. So I don't know where you're at in those, in those four groups, but, um, but I hope that that has helped clarify um, kind of where you're at and what it looks like going forward. Uh, there are some, some kind of obvious criticisms that get thrown up oftentimes against church membership, and we're going to just talk about those very briefly um, before we come up and worship. But the first mem- uh, criticism that I often hear against church membership is that it's not in the Bible, right? It's not in the Bible. It's a man-made addition. And my hope was that we already talked about that and we already saw uh, as we looked in the Old Testament is that the, the Bible presents time and time again these clear examples of people, of God's people coming together and forming covenants, forming commitments publicly about the covenant that God had made. And so we see that this is not something new. This is not something we're seeking to invent. But instead, this is something that's been done in the Bible. And this is something that's been done in the church history for centuries. And so we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. The second thing is that church membership is just a means for leadership to try and control and change me. It's legalistic. And if you haven't been here long enough, I hope you get to know our heart. We love you. And our heart as shepherds is to serve you. It's not to try to control. It's not to try to manipulate. The Holy Spirit is the one that leads and changes people. But I do agree that there have been times where people try to enforce some kind of covenant or some kind of membership because they do it out of fear. They do it out of power rather than doing it out of heart of, of serving and of love and care for the body. Um, but that is, that is not our heart at all um, in doing this. Uh, and, and the third thing is membership just brings division and unity. I've experienced it. Stay away, right? And I would say that I think that some churches have done that, and that yet there are others that I've seen that are profoundly healthy and extremely biblical that have it. And so just like there are people that use the Bible legalistically, right? There, there are people that use the Bible to bring disunity and disorder. And so I don't think it's about what it is. I think it's about how it's used. Membership, when, when the heart behind membership is one of fear, one of, of selfishness, one of control or power, then it's going to be used for that end. When membership is intend, intended instead to bring clarity, to help bring unity, to be a, a, a source of, for me, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it because I go back to that again and again, and it helps me when I'm in a struggle, when I'm not in a clear state of mind, to say, here's what God calls of me, and here's how God leads me to love the church. Is it, It's a, a, a document that helps guide me in how I interact with other people. So what are, what are next steps? Where do we go from here? Well, if you still have questions and you're like, hey, that was nice, but Trevor, I've got still a bunch of questions and uh, I'm just not convinced, then hey, that's fine. You know, please come out, like come out and talk to us. We want to listen. Like we want to hear and we want to understand. We want to take a posture of a, of a servant and of a listener. And so we've got our Q&A tonight where if you have further questions or you want to present something, please come. We want to listen. We want to understand uh, where you're coming from and, uh, and what you're thinking, your thoughts. And so that's going to be at 630 tonight. Come out and, uh, and listen or ask your questions. Um, 
if you uh, are unsure, you're like, hey, I don't know, am I grandfathered in, am I not? Please meet with your elder, call up your elder, talk to your elder. We, we love getting time with you. Um, and then uh, our covenant starting in November, so if you haven't gone through that, please, please let us know. We want you to go through that. And we're going to have our covenant affirmation um, that date, so everybody knows it's going to be February 24th, and that's going to be the day where um, all those that have been through covenant have gone through covenant, we just affirm it together. That's really all it is, is that we read the covenant, we talk about it, and we stand, and we affirm, and we say, yeah, we want to do that together with these people. Even though we're all broken, we're all messed up, we, we are going to choose that we're going to love these people right here. And so that's, that's, what, this, that's what this looks like. Um, Marty's going to come up and he's going to lead us in worship as we, you know, worship and then go into communion. But I hope you've, you've gotten to hear our heart and I've gotten to hear my heart is that we love you. And that our, this has been a five-year process for me as the Lord has, has really convicted and, and led me through this. And that it's been um, such a process and we want you guys to be brought into that. And so know how much we love and we really do care for you. Pray for me. Pray with me. Father, uh, we... We do, we care for you, we love you, and uh, just, uh, just unify us. Give us the same heart and the same mind. We, our heart is to be your people, is to faithfully represent you, is to do what you call us to do. And we know we can't do it, but your spirit can do it through us. God, and though, even though we were gonna fail in this covenant, God, you're gonna give us forgiveness and you're gonna give us the strength to repent. You say that a righteous man uh, falls down seven, but he gets up eight. And so help us, God, make us your people as you have done, but continue to give us that tenacity, that perseverance to stick and to love one another, God, in order that the world might see that you are true in order that we would be made like you. So we love you. It's an area of prayer, Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.